Welcome to Jalo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we are analyzing Lucio Fulci's The Psychic, also known in Italy as Seven Notes in Black. This supernatural jolly includes strong themes of fate, intuition, and the absence of time. To help me dive deeper into those themes, I am joined by a multifaceted guest who is fluent in the practice of tarot reading. Tarot is an art which combines intuition, premonition, and symbolism by way of a deck of 72 illustrated cards. My guest brings her extensive knowledge of these symbols to her viewing and analysis of the psychic. In addition to her tarot background, my guest is a stylist, mother, and all-around creative. The Psychic is a film with repeated instrumental and visual motifs, and I am so excited for you to listen to our discussion. The following conversation has been pre-recorded from my guest's home. Now please enjoy the latest episode of Jalo of the Month Club. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah Adler. Hi. Hi, thanks for being here. You're so welcome. First time guest? Yes. Long time listener. listener. Long time friend. <laughs> Long time friend. <laughs> so I know you very well, but would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and give them a little glimpse into your background? Sure. So I am a tarot reader, and that is why I'm here on the podcast first and foremost. I've been reading tarot for three years publicly, but in my own private life, I've been reading for about five Lately, I've also been delving into a lot more of my creative endeavors. I have a Etsy store where I make and sell dried floral wreaths and adorned skulls. And I also have begun styling photo shoots and working with lots of different photographers and creatives in the Baltimore area. Additionally, I am the mother to a very cute, wild little baby named (laughs) Ava. And those are my credentials at the moment. Is there anything that you've watched recently that you would recommend to the listeners? Sure. So since all the pandemic stuff has started, I have watched a lot of television. And some of my favorites have been Dragula, which is available on Netflix, which is a... great for horror fans. It's a wild horror drag race type show. Yeah, you introduced me to it and the costumes are amazing. So if anyone's really into like horror makeup, I would also recommend Dragula. Yeah. Or if you just like drag queens, it's great. I've also been watching Raised by Wolves and Lovecraft Country on HBO, which are very different, especially in like pacing, but both really fun, like sort of sci-fi, a little touch of horror, and really interesting storytelling. And of course, I've been watching um, a lot of Love Island. Sadly, (laughs) I've had to resort to the US version since the UK canceled theirs due to COVID. I love So I have not seen Love Island, but I have seen Lovecraft Country. (laughs) Um, So similar. I really liked the episode that is kind of a standalone episode in the house with all of like the creepy makeup. And again, like if you're really into like practical effects and like spooky makeup, that's a very cool episode. Um, and the most recent episode is a lot of sex. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, but and that, a lot that of body horror. Me. It's 
it's literally like the first sex scene happens and I'm like, whoa, the fucking. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, whoa, again. It does like a full body horror. And yeah, it goes midway through season one. It goes perfectly season two. Yeah. I I love that. So it's fine. Well, I'm excited to watch that. I I hadn't heard this review of this latest episode and now I'm quite (laughs) titillated. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of films for Fantasia Film Festival, which I just put out my Fantasia Roundup episode last episode. So if you're interested in some genre cinema, listen to that. And I haven't really watched anything new. I rewatched Perfect Blue, which is an anime that I really like. And then I watched The Guest and The Love Witch. So... Both kind of genre cinema films that I would recommend. I get asked about The Love Witch all the time. I went out and immediately bought blue eyeshadow the next day because the eyeshadow is so fantastic. The in that styling film. in that show is really good. Yeah, yeah. Show, movie is really good. Well, speaking of The Love Witch, it kind of is um, relevant to the yeah. theme of the spooky film that we're yeah. reviewing. Released in 1977, The Psychic follows a woman who begins experiencing psychic visions that lead her to discover a murder. Her husband is charged with the killing, and the clairvoyant wife must embark on an investigation to clear his name of the crime. Directed by famed Italian film director Lucio Fulci, The Psychic is a very simple plot. Its supernatural elements do not distract from its clear giallo foundations. Fulci has claimed that the film was in development hell for over a year as producer Luigi De Laurentiis was not sure what type of film they wanted to make. Writer Dardano Sacchetti was then hired to underwrite the script by adding a touch of Argento to the traditional mystery plot. That's really interesting. Yeah, so they had a screenplay that was based on a book, mm-hmm. but very loosely based. Like, they threw everything out. I, okay. I don't even know, like, what the book was about at this point. Oh, I'd love to um, know. And then they brought in a writer who had worked with Dario Argento to add oh. some popularity, a little That's bit so of, like, popular giallo tidbits in it. And those giallo tropes are visions or nightmares of death, mysterious phone calls, a tape recorder, which you see in Bird with a Crystal Plumage, which is a Dario Argento film, mm-hmm. and also another Fulci film, A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Mm-hmm. And you see black gloves at least once. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in The Psychic. I'm like, there's the black gloves. It's not a, really a black glove killer, but they're black gloves. But I didn't know that was a theme. I oh, just, yeah. I just learned that now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the logo, Jalo Month Club logo is black gloves. You know, it's, it's all coming together. Makes sense. Makes <laughs> sense now, right? Um, and then there's a theme of art throughout, mostly within the repeated visions from Virginia. Yeah. Now is where I do my spoiler warning. Mm. This episode will include spoilers. So if you haven't seen The Psychic, you can watch it on YouTube. And it's also available on Amazon Prime if you have a Fandor account. You can also purchase the Blu-ray for relatively cheap, and I would suggest this if you are a fan of the Jalo subgenre because it's a worthwhile watch. It's a good movie. It's I feel like I'm gonna definitely be recommending it to people. Yes. Yeah. I bought the Blu-ray version, it was like eight dollars or something. It was super cheap. That's cool. Yeah. So for me, aside from the psychic, my Jalo knowledge really only extends to Argento's films. So I've learned a lot from your podcast and I'm really excited to sort of dive into it with this movie. Lucio Fulci is often regarded as one of genre's godfathers of gore with films like The Beyond and New York Ripper. However, there is a different side of Fulci that many of his fans are not aware of. He also established himself as a master of suspense. Fulci co-wrote and directed a few films in the Jalo subgenre, including Don't Torture a Duckling and A Lizard in the Woman's Skin. 
The film The Psychic is also known as Seven Notes in Black, which I mentioned in the top of the episode. Murder to the tune of Seven Black Notes, of course the long, typical Jalo title, with a number in it. Death Toll Seven Times, and then in France it was called The Walled Up Alive Woman. Wow, that's very literal. <laughs> yeah, very specific in France. I thought the cast was pretty good. Jennifer O'Neill played Virginia, who's the clairvoyant lead of our film, and I thought that she was very intelligent and likable. Her husband, Francesco, was kind of a jerk anyway, so I think compared to him. At least the version that I watched, and I believe the one you watched, were dubbed. So I always find that when like a movie's dubbed or there's subtitles, the acting is hard to decipher because you don't really know yeah. what the person's re- how they're you know intonating what their voice is really doing. So it sort of makes it like a bit of a wash where you're like, it's fine, it's great. He looks mean, yeah, and he's yeah. dressed and it's like dubbed a villain with, with voice actors that have accents. So it's it's effective. It's good. It's very well done. But we have um, Johnny Darko, which not Donnie Darko. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he plays Francesco Ducci, who is Virginia's husband. He says this line in the beginning. I'd love you even if you were a witch. I'm like, what? Mm. Do people really say that in real life? Is he laying on thick because, spoiler alert, he's a murderer? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very interesting line. I, like, yeah. didn't go back to harp on that, but now I, like... Yeah, like, of course you would love her, you murderer. He's a popular Italian actor. He's been in a bunch of Italian westerns and stuff that I haven't even heard of. We have Mark Perel, who plays Luca, who is Virginia's friend and the parapsychologist who she works with to solve the crime. He ends up being our guy that saves the day, maybe. Why maybe? Because it's kind of ambiguous. How so? I didn't notice that. She is in the wall, and you don't know if she's alive or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she gets out. (laughs) I didn't love that there was a male hero. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's like... The 70s, so of course yeah. there's a nice male hero, but of course I and wanted her to hero. And there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them, so oh, yeah. you never know like what their background was. We have this is one of my favorite characters. Her fashion was amazing. Evelyn Stewart plays yes. plays Gloria, who is Francesco's sister, and she was in The Bloodstained Butterfly, a pretty popular release when it comes to Jala films. I loved her. I loved how. When Virginia first sees that room, she's like, oh, someone old decorates it. And it's just glory. She's like, no, I'm just fabulous. And oh my gosh. Gaudy she had tacky. that hat. She's Crazy. like of such a great um, equal but opposite of Virginia, who's very like stylish, you know, street, mm-hmm. like a trench coat and like a smart blouse. Gloria's yeah. just like, look at me. Yeah, like color and patterns <laughs> and jewels. The actress that plays Gloria, she was in only a few more films after The Psychic before retiring in 1990, so I thought that she went out on a high note when it comes to this film. Then we have Gabrielle Frizzetti, who plays Emilio, who is the older gentleman who has a beard then doesn't have a beard, and he's involved in the through line. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of side characters where it's a lot of red herrings when it comes to the detectives and the police and... The handyman that shows her into the house in the beginning, which that's like classic Jalo, yeah. like all these red herrings. But there's also the two women, and they're pretty important. The two women that are killed. Mm. And they... Yeah. Because they're important to the plot and the the moment of action that really yeah. propels this story forward. Yeah, they help it move But they are definitely. not actors in the movie whatsoever. No, they're just in pictures and yeah. flashbacks and maybe flashbacks. Maybe flashbacks. We'll get into that. <laughs> 
Overall, I think that this is a great movie to revisit if you have watched it already. If you haven't, it unfolds in a surprising way. So I would recommend that you pause the podcast, watch the movie, and then come back for a great conversation. Yeah. And this is where we're really, really, really getting into spoilers, guys. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, we're going to ruin the movie. (laughs) But then also make it better with lots of context. Yes. The Psychic was pretty light in kills. It had a 98-minute runtime and only three, possibly four kills, so that it averages about one kill every 32 minutes. Two or three of them are off-screen, so you don't even see them. So if you're looking for gore, this is not the film for you, but if you're looking for suspense and mystery, but watch this film. you can get film. some gore in, like, the first 20 seconds. Yeah, that was <laughs> nuts. That was very midsummer. Yeah, strong opening. Yeah. I was like, ooh, I'm paying attention. I'm yeah. Here. I'm in it. Yep. We begin the film in England as a woman commits suicide by leaping off a cliff. And hitting her head on the side of the cliff several That times. was very <laughs> fulci. Like, very gory, and he didn't care if it was a close-up of the dummy or not. Like, you're I looking at it. that skull. It was great. <laughs> I liked it better than it was a dummy. Yeah. It was I mean, just, like, so beautiful. For 1977, candy. I think, it was great. perfectly I it. fine. Yeah. Like, as the woman commits suicide... Her daughter, our protagonist, Virginia, sees her mother's death in a vision. So Virginia is a child at this point when her mother commits suicide. Fast forward to present day, an adult Virginia lives near Rome and has married a rich Italian businessman named Francesco. Francesco leaves on a business trip just as Virginia begins to experience a new set of visions. She sees a bloody old woman in addition to someone being sealed into a brick wall. Virginia visits her husband's many vacation homes in order to renovate it. As she enters one of the rooms, she is struck immediately by the feeling that this is the same room from her visions. Feeling compelled, Virginia digs into the wall, bashes it in, completely destroys the wall, and she discovers a human skeleton. These are essentially the three kills of the film. The lady that commits suicide, the old woman, and then the body inside the wall. Possibly one more. Mm -hmm. Depends how you want to look at it. At least an attempt. Yeah. Um, I really liked the frenetic, like, zooming in when she was bashing into the wall. That's, again, like, classic Volchi. He does those zoom-ins on the pickaxe as she's busting through the wall. Well, I feel like... And that's really hard to do, too, because you have to be really well-timed when you do that. The zoom-ins, like, occur as she's swinging the axe that she's using. And I thought that 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 sort of jerky motion not only brings you, like, into the scene where you're part of this, like, frenetic desperate attempt to get into this wall but it also adds to your sense of being unsure of what's happening her sense of being unsure what's happening sort of like in this moment of frenzy Mm -hmm. and there's a couple other moments that do that like as the one gentleman is climbing the ladder up towards others like the camera kind of does what she feels is happening to her yeah like pov shot kind of yeah Yeah. but it's like a it makes you feel that sense of like either frenetic like i said action or like being encroached upon and these are things that she's feeling but a lot of that adds to like you really feeling as unsure as Virginia does despite her being the character in the movie with the visions etc it doesn't make her any more enlightened than the viewer right really put you into her shoes and it it was a great effect that cinematographer did his name is Sergio Savetti he used a lot of color pops of color like red There was the camera flash match cuts when they find the skeleton. So they find the skeleton and then like a camera flashes Mm -hmm. 
and then you're on the reporter, and then a camera flashes again, and then you're on someone else, and I love match cuts. Like, those are, like, Mm -hmm. one of my, like, favorite little touches of photography within cinema, so I love that. Well, I love that it sort of makes you feel, like, confused, or, like, that helps the story because... The title, The Psychic, makes you think of someone who knows everything and knows what's going to happen. And it made, it threw me off a bit. It was like a bit of a red herring because I kept waiting for that old woman to be the real psychic and for her to, like, step in and tell Virginia what happened. But instead, like, her psychic powers actually just, like, send her spiraling and send her world upside down. They don't help her. They don't really show that she knows the future. It's just that she knows something yeah. and now she has to figure out what it is and we're yep. all in it with her and we're all just as lost and desperate to find answers as she is. Yeah, I, I totally agree and I actually have some points to talk about when it comes <laughs> to that. Did you like that overhead shot where it was the stairwell? It was like an overhead with the spiraling. Oh, yeah. I love the framing in that shot. Oh, that yeah. was another one of my favorite shots and I've been looking all over the internet for it and I haven't found it yet but hopefully when this podcast comes out I'll have a, a nice overhead shot. shot it. From that YouTube link. I probably could. <laughs> that very blurry, that yeah. very blurry YouTube link. Well, speaking of that really cool overhead shot in that building, I thought the production was very upscale. And I love the interior design, like all oh, like the yeah. lush wallpaper and the red and... Well, you know what I noticed and like what I love about Italian, French architecture styling in any movie is that it sort of like removes you from time because the architecture is so old. The interior design is, even she mentions that room specifically, seems outdated, but is also like very sort of glamorous and lush, especially from, you know, a 2020 perspective when that's like a vintage, gorgeous aesthetic. We don't see it as outdated. We see it as like beautifully styled. Yeah. Yeah. So like this, not especially the house that Virginia steps into to start renovating is so out of time, which makes it especially difficult for her to place her visions is that she thinks this room is old. So she thinks it's a something her, she thinks that her psychic visions are something that's happened, but then she yeah. finds out it's just been, you know, renovated and designed this way. And it's actually potentially in the future. And she becomes very displaced within the timeline of the story. Yeah. And I think that like, 2020 United States or even 1970s United States doesn't lend itself to that because the architecture tells you when and where you are. Right. It did give a timeless quality and I I really like that about it as well. Especially to like in the sort of macro versus micro elements of her visions, she's forced to use like more minor details at first, right? She's like really focusing on like the mirror or the painting or like the age of the woman, but really she has to like zoom in. So I love that it takes you like big scale, the house, then to the room, then to, you know, these larger details within the room and then like little tiny details, like a mustache or a cigarette yeah. or like a note. Oh my gosh. She has to really like dig for what's I thought the... When they put the sister as a red herring with the cigarette, yeah, I really thought that that was going to come around as she was involved. Oh, but, but I loved it. That was my favorite yeah. touch is that she like yeah. lights it up and she's yeah. like, oh, dang. Yeah. Where'd you get those cigarettes from? I'm like, oh, no. She's so fashionable. <laughs> I hope I'm in her will. <laughs> Speaking of the fashion, the Virginia's costume design is by Fendi. Ooh. Of course it is. <sighs> I wonder if that actress was like, I'll only be in this if if Benny I can keep the wardrobe. Head to toe. <laughs> yeah, and the wardrobe is mine. That was a fantastic because I typically have to like wait till the end for those kind of credits. And it just was like front and center. I'm like, 
Yes, I wrote it down immediately as soon as I it. I was like, Fendi. Fun fact. Yeah. Good for you, Fendi. Um, <laughs> another presence in the film that was very strong was the music. Mm-hmm. It was simple, but it was elegant. But then you also have that song called Seven Notes, which runs throughout, and it's her watch theme. Yeah. Like the seven black notes. And then that makes sense when it comes to the, title. the Italian title. Mm-hmm. Before both of us watched it, we were like, why is this called Seven Black Notes? I wonder if that was like a common, was that common knowledge? You know, it's like almost like if you made something like Green Sleeves, we all kind of like know the jingle of Green Sleeves, even though it's just like a tune. So I wonder if like in Italy, Seven Black Notes is a recognizable tune that the title would become something more. So I don't know that it is. The composer is a popular Italian film composer named Fabio Fritzi. I think it was an original piece. I, I could be mm-hmm. mistaken, but I don't think it existed so before this film. Fabio Fritzi, he's like amazing. I actually saw him perform this song and Whoa. some music from this film. And I, I just watched it for the first time just now. So seven years ago, I saw him perform in a church in Austin. That's so cool. And he played music from like all of these Fulci films that he has scored and the psychic was one of them. And I'm like, of course, it was like fantastic music. So. <laughs> but then it makes me wonder what was the, you know, it's like naming a, you know, a movie here after a song that no one's heard yet. They do that with Jalo. I mean, it's some little detail. Oftentimes it's about the music or a piece of art or an animal that is referenced maybe not at all in the film. <laughs> I love that. That's very interesting. And Fabio Fritzi's song, Seven Notes, was also in Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill Volume 1. So it's where like most people would know it what if they watched this film. At the climax of Volume 1, where the bride is on the floor of the hospital room waiting for Buck to come into the room. Mm. So it's at like a high point of the film. And I particularly liked the very end of this movie where that song and those seven notes pay off. Yeah. Overall, I thought that The Psychic was an excellent thriller, particularly within the supernatural jolly subgenre. The upscale production design and cohesive yet surprising ending really elevate the film. I thought that Fulci's skill at generating tension is brought front and center within this film, and I think that it was one of his lesser-known talents, but I think it was really well done in this one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, especially like as someone who doesn't know a lot about Jalo and has really only seen sort of the more mainstream movies. I, right from the beginning, was in with this one. I was like texting you like, oh, I'm loving this. Yeah. This is great. And I was like totally wrapped the entire time and have definitely mentioned it to a couple people already and like can't wait to watch it yeah i think it's like it's just like a lesser known one that i really only knew existed because i was looking for something very specific for you to be a guest you know it's for you to review like so i was like i want something that's about supernatural or psychic abilities something that's a little bit unique compared to just the typical male artist finds himself entangled in murders <laughs> and tries to solve the mystery. Like, I wanted something, like, really cool, and it was a great film. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. What makes The Psychic such a unique film is its atmosphere. The director goes for a stripped-down approach, as the film's most terror-inspiring moments are not the scenes of violence, but Virginia's disconnected visions. Our protagonist is not the typical Jalo helpless victim, 
she's actually strong, even though she has a vulnerable side. She's intelligent. She's fully aware that she's treading on dangerous territory. And she also turns into an amateur detective with more charisma than the typical female protagonist. Like, oh, they're yeah. usually, like, reluctant. But she was like, no, I'm getting in there. Yeah, and I'm busting that wall right open. Yeah. yeah. She's wild. I loved her. Yeah. I had listened to a few commentaries about this film and, like, a few YouTube videos mostly by male movie reviewers and they weren't really a fan of her they said that she lacked charisma and i'm like no like she was actually real she seemed like she was real she seemed like she was kind of a introverted person yeah and just found herself in this unbelievable situation my real question is why does she need to have charisma at all like she's first of all this is just like a brief period of her life she's driving down the road and a some sort of vision is thrust upon her she's clearly spent much of her life trying to make sense of this sort of not not even a power just this like affliction to some degree because she not only had a mother who committed suicide but mentally and and psychologically was there to witness it and so she's this is thrust upon her and she like just takes it upon herself to find out what happened to this woman in her vision because she knows from past experiences that her visions are real. And why does she need to be charismatic? She's just someone trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's sort of such like a ridiculous well, sexist thing. Well, that's why I emphasize male movie reviewers right. because all, like, of, this the, woman didn't all charm of the me. female writers that I've seen write pieces on this have never commented on that. They've commented on how she's strong and intelligent and yeah. she's taking it into her own hands and she's really doing it, like, for herself to... Well, she's doing it for her husband, but she's... She just wants to solve this mystery. And yeah, for she's, her, yeah, It's just such, like, an altruistic motive, right? There's nothing in it for her. Exactly. Like, she could just... She could just sit back and let her husband get taken off and <laughs> charged with the murder and just, like, take his fancy houses. But, like, she believes in him to some degree. And right. she believes in herself enough to know that this is a very real vision that she's had. Mm-hmm. And, like, what what else does she need to be doing? Right. And, frankly, she's, like, rather soft-spoken. And she's sort of more observant and more of a listener rather than, like, what, what do they want? Like, some, like, kicking the doors down? She <laughs> She broke the wall down. Calm down, Maybe guys. they wanted, like, a Kill Bill character. I don't know. <laughs> she puts on a jumpsuit. Yeah, a yellow jumpsuit. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know what they wanted. <laughs> uh, the concept of a woman in peril who also happens to have a heightened sense of intuition is a common one throughout the horror genre. Using vision as a structural foundation, the narrative of the psychic is clear. Fulci creates a puzzle. Our protagonist suffers from 14 visions in total, some of which are shown multiple times. Every detail revealed is vital to the story. The most satisfying moments of the film come when those details are connected together. Throughout the psychic, the evidence seems to indicate that whatever Virginia saw may not be what she thought she saw which you touched on this earlier, which was a fantastic observation. Thank you. Practically every clue turns out to mean something other than what is originally read as. Each of the clues slowly move into place within the real world, with the film's editing revealing the context of each image. Sarah, I believe that you noticed some interesting symbolisms relating to the theme of fate and intuition within this. Do you want to elaborate upon this? Yeah, of course. So for me, a lot of what I brought to this film was my relationship and my experience with tarot and sort of the mystical symbolism realm. 
for me, tarot is not about fortune telling or being psychic or anything like that, but rather tapping into your own intuition and looking at your life from a different vantage point, much like Virginia is forced to do with all of her different visions. That lens is what I use to sort of look at the psychic, look at the many, many symbols of her visions and see how those connect with um, traditional mystical symbolism. As we've talked about several times, the psychic consistently flashes back to Virginia's initial psychic vision that she has when she's driving down the road on her way to see her husband's home that she's going to renovate. Flashes of images may not directly depict tarot, but they are full of spiritual and intuitive imagery um, shared by tarot and other outlets like literature and art. Um, these carefully chosen symbols not only create mystery and allure, but also tie Virginia's gifts into the larger world of tarot and mysticism, and ultimately psychics and fortune telling. I chose seven of those symbols that I felt had a lot of draw within these traditional symbols um, to kind of get into depth with. I could probably have done all 14 <laughs> because there's a lot to be said about them, but for, you know timing sake and I chose my seven favorites. Yeah. 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 So the first that stands out, like you mentioned before, is that there is a lot of red in this movie and especially in um, her visions, three of the symbols are red light and the red room and blood on the woman's face. In tarot and in sort of like traditional literary symbolism, red is the color of fire. It represents action, passion, inspiration, and energy. So it also has a lot to do with like anger and lust and animal urges, right? All of which come into play in this film. Not only Virginia is, you know, moving with action and passion to find answers, but also these murders are being done by someone with a lot of anger and uh, sort of the inability to resolve the this passionate energy that's stirred within them. I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed in the beginning when her visions are originally triggered, it's within the tunnel and tunnels are known as symbolism, like within film as like sexual innuendos mm. or like sexual repressions. Mm. And it kind of seemed like her husband was not that effective. Like they didn't have much chemistry together. They weren't mm. like very affectionate together. It seemed like she didn't know him for very long. Especially they got married. in comparison to Luca. Exactly. Yeah, you get that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I felt the absence of passion when I originally had seen the, the tunnel scenes in the beginning. Like that original that came to me. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, she could very easily be like sort of replacing that um, absence of passion with this passion for answers and sort of also like discovering herself, right? She's, we see her early on in this in this film, like trying to work out these visions and then they keep coming to her. Mm -hmm. So She's like, I can't get to know this person. And there's clearly some sort of wall between them. He's a murderer mm -hmm. and she doesn't know it. And so she has to find her own identity, I guess. So something that I was going to mention next is the fact that the color red also brought to mind the strength card in tarot. In the classic Rider Waite traditional tarot deck illustrated by Pamela Coleman Smith, the strength card depicts a red lion, but the strength card is all about innate feminine power, like just the ability of the feminine spirit to harness and tame this wild, you know, king of the jungle. She, to me, has a lot to do with the strength card, right? This 
and which many men may find a lack of charisma, yeah. um, she actually is very strong. She's very self-assured. She knows that she's going to, you know, embark upon this journey, even though it's dangerous. And even though maybe she is not necessarily the most outgoing, bold character, she's right. just very determined. And so to me, this strength card and that, that red line really stood out as a connector between tarot and these red symbols. Uh, so not only the death and murder and evil of her husband are depicted within the red, but also her own ability to foresee these events and ultimately try to at least intervene or take the matters into her own hands. That leads me to the second symbol that I've chosen to take a closer look at, which is the broken mirror, which is sort of an obvious uh, bad luck, mm -hmm. misfortune, but also... So the fact that when this mirror breaks, it sort of shatters Virginia's um, own image of herself. And it also reflects her inability to see not only the reality of her visions, but yep. also her inability to see herself, see her husband, and see what this power of hers really can yeah. do. She has to sort of then put those pieces back together in a way that tells the story and could potentially solve a crime and save her life. Yeah, I love that you notice the use of mirrors because that is a symbol within cinema. Like the use of mirrors in films can point to a character's dual nature. Mirrors can also signify a character that has two conflicting personalities or has intentions or thoughts to do something that are not normal of themselves. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think she's out solving crimes all the time. No. So I think it was more of like an internal reflection as well as her not being able to see her husband's true self. Or her own true self. Yeah. I think, like, for me, like, the strongest theme for this whole movie is, like, her inability to work out this, like, quote-unquote power and having to, like, reassemble that much like a broken mirror in order to see things clearly as they are in front of her. Which brings me to my third symbol, which is the yellow cab parked on the street she flashes too and she's sort of like each of these symbols she's constantly each of these you know, elements of her visions she's constantly trying to like find them in real life and see as they play out mm -hmm. but the yellow cab as it sort of like splashes there um is like clearly very bright and it indicates you know an ability to flee or move throughout the scene yellow is associated with the uh with the super conscious or highest level of consciousness and it's the most direct connection to like higher spheres, right? So like God or some other worldly, somebody in, in charge, right? This, mm -hmm. Whatever your highest sphere may be. For her to be constantly like seeking out this beacon in this cab sort of implies that it, it does create sort of like an illusion of safety, an illusion of hope to her that like it's going to take her from the scene. Well, and the whole reason the cab exists in her vision is because the girl that was murdered by her husband was in the cab, fleeing to safety. Right. So the next symbol that I focused on is the colored painting in the vision, which there's two paintings, one's in black and white mm -hmm. and one's in, in color. And it's yeah. a lady with a baby in a chair. And this, to me, is a clear allusion to the Empress card, which is the mother card, um, which directly depicts the ability of women to create not just life, but also ideas and their own power, right? So, like, just like the Strength card, Virginia is sort of, like, really struggling to harness these sides of herself that may not be in her most natural state, right? These, right. like, really bold sides of herself. 
But the Empress card isn't just giving birth to a baby, but is also ideas, creativity, visions, strength. And Virginia has this innate ability to foresee that she is clearly trying to grapple with and understand, but she can't not, she can not only stop the visions, but she can't stop trying to make sense of it because she does have this desire to know herself. In the film, all the victims of murder and attempted murder are women. And so they are each struggling to make sense of this catalytic moment of stealing this piece of art, etc. Yeah. So like the Empress, Virginia is destined to birth these visions, sort of whether she likes it or not, much in the same way that each of the other women who are victims in this film are sort of trying to birth something, announce something to her that they are stopped from, right? That they yeah. are, their voices are shuttered and instead Virginia sort of tra- keeps trying to step in and be their voices and make sense of what happened to them. Okay, so then next we come to um, the black shoes which are limping in her vision, mm-hmm. which we know is her husband having been injured in yet another murder. So <laughs> Not fighting with the sister. No, not, not <laughs> fighting with the sister, murdering a woman. Yeah. You know, black is sort of a pretty simple symbol, but it's used uh, especially in the death and devil card in tarot, which don't necessarily mean death or the devil, but do mean um, instead getting rid of something that's no longer serving you in order to make way for something better, which is... In my Whoa. opinion, Virginia getting rid of her husband to make way for this, the power and strength that comes from knowing herself better and knowing her psychic nature. Um, and the devil card is very much about engaging with temptation, engaging with sort of the darker side of things, being able to sort of like play with quote unquote sins, which she is forced to do in order to solve this murder and in order to make sense of her visions. So the black of the shoes, especially juxtaposed against like the the yellow cab, the red lights, all these sort of like vibrant elements and these flashing elements of her vision, the black shoes are not only like mystery and darkness, but also death and the devil and in actually like a really positive, empowering way for Virginia. Right. Well, I think that the black also symbolizes darkness, like you said, the sins, and it was said by the sister earlier in the film, and I think also, like, the handyman, that Francesco, Virginia's husband, was somewhat of a playboy, Mm -hmm. and he was kind of... Yeah, he's definitely, you know, this sort of, like, weird... He's meant to be this, like, rich businessman, right? So he's, like, sort of this temptation-embodied character who then enacts, you know, the most ultimate sin, murder, upon the people that he tricks into his plots. Yeah. Uh, the sixth symbol I focused on was the lit cigarette on the blue ashtray. Maybe my favorite symbol. I really loved the way the cigarette came full circle. You mentioned before how like the sister Gloria, who we love, mm-hmm. suddenly is smoking these like unusual looking cigarettes. Virginia takes notice. She says, where are they from? She's like, oh, here, you can have the pack. Yeah. Virginia takes them. She's like thinking, oh, I'm going to do some research. What are these cigarettes? <laughs> Gloria must have been in the room. And then finally, as things culminate in this last final scene, she takes out the cigarette, yeah. lights it, yeah. and then realizes, oh my God, the vision is my cigarette yeah. that Epic. I got from Gloria. And, and she puts it down on her <laughs> ashtray. It's just like this beautiful scene and the mm. cigarette. I mean, cigarettes are they're bad for your health, but they're very beautiful they in a film. blue ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> So I love this because the cigarette, you know, it's fire, it's a 
it's a little stick on fire, which is very much um, the fire suit in tarot, wands. And wands are the labor suit, which is anything that involves emotional, physical, spiritual, or mental labor. Um, and when we ultimately learn that this cigarette belongs to Virginia herself, it is a moment of seeing how her tireless journey to discovering the truth of the room and her visions finally comes into focus. All of her efforts, its I mean, it's that moment that you realize, like, she's in trouble yes and her all of her efforts finally come full circle as she sets that cigarette down and her labor all of her effort is nearly complete which is just such a like fire sign right fire is what gets us into action those you know those are our aries uh sagittarius leo there are like big hot zodiac signs that love like action and attention and and movement and arguing and you know all those passionate adjectives you can think of so i love that that cigarette really like embodies all of that lastly i come to the black and white photo of the painting by vermeer called the love letter so the use of vermeer's the love letter is a conscious reference to virginia's inability to see the interior of her vision so if you look up vermeer's paintings he is a dutch painter and his early work is remarkably detailed. That's sort of what made him famous. But his later work, like the love letter, suddenly abandons focus on the figures and instead creates this passive state of voyeurism for the viewer. Um, this painting shows two figures through an open door. There's all these like luxurious little details, like these little tiny shoes and this little instrument she's playing. And they're really detailed, but the figures are like strangely out of focus. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes you feel like you shouldn't be there at all, right? That you're looking in on this room that like you have no business peeking in on. We're meant to feel that not only from the painting, but very much from this story, right? Just like Virginia's visions, uh, both Virginia and the viewers only get a glimpse of this larger story. And, and we're sort of all in it trying to pull this story into focus, just like this painting, which I love that connection so much because yeah. it's just such a purposeful choice for this work of art to be. Yeah, it's definitely you have to pay close attention to the composition of the photo where it's they're framed within, you know, a frame, essentially, <laughs> they're framed and there's all these little details. And the love letter is also the only painting by Vermeer that includes a fireplace, which is eerily yeah. similar to a hole in the wall, yeah. like in the psychic. So I thought that was a very cool little nod that Fulci picked the love letter. There's also a very interesting history of this painting being stolen. Did you know about that? I, I didn't. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. So in 1971, which is six years before this film was made, Vermeer's The Love Letter was stolen from its display at the Center of Fine Arts in Brussels. And then three years later, Vermeer's The Guitar Player was stolen in London. Mm. There's an eerie story as to how the guitar player was found after being stolen. That is very relevant to this film. You'll like this. Tell me more. So after police dogs failed to pick up the scent around the frame of the guitar player after it went missing, a Roman psychic named Nella Jones tipped off the police about the location of the frame. The psychic claimed that her mind suddenly focused on the whereabouts of the painting while she had been ironing clothes and watching television. She sketched a map of the location in her vision and took it to police, who were originally skeptical. Of course, she's yeah, a naturally. psychic showing up. 
But having no other lead, they followed her sketch. They ended up finding the painting, and the clairvoyant would spend the next 20 years helping them catch murderers and other serious offenders. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so the love letter has a crazy journey within being stolen, and I maybe Fulci heard about that and decided to put that into the screenplay. Yeah, I love that. I love that it just feels like very specific. It doesn't feel like a random choice. As much as I enjoyed this movie upon viewing, going through these symbols made me love it even more. Because especially in horror, as you know, Diana, there's (laughs) nothing I love more than when every choice feels deliberately and intelligently chosen. I can't stand a movie that just feels like a bunch of (laughs) random stuff. Like, and then, and then, and then, like how a little kid tells a story. So I loved, like, I, I enjoyed this movie. Great. And then I sat down to look through these symbols and I was like, ooh, so juicy. Yeah, like juicy. Every single All the one, visions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single one pays attention to the world uh, within which this movie exists, which is like psychics and magic and spirituality and just feels like really in touch with its sources, which I love. The psychic not only knows its own story, but it knows its references within the realm of spiritual magic and the occult, which just makes it feel really... Well thought out. And well, I love that you confirmed okay. that. But at first, I didn't know if I felt that way because I didn't know if I felt that like, okay, this group of people steals this painting and then one of them is going to take it on her own and then she's murdered and then, you know, this other woman's going to tell the truth about it and then she's murdered. I didn't know if I loved the painting element until I really looked at like, what is the painting mm-hmm. and then even learning like this history of his work has been stolen and there's even a psychic involved. I'm like, Oh, there is just like so much context for this movie that it feels like almost historical fiction. Right. And that's really cool. Like that's really fun to have this like, you know, little nod to real life things. Like it's not just a made up random act. Yeah. I like that too. So while we're on the theme of fate and intuition, do you have any flavors of the month that you would like to share with the listeners? This can be a book or a piece of art or a movie or a show or anything that you think would pair well with this movie. Okay, so of course I do. We have been living in pandemic COVID (laughs) times for six months and I have been reading so many books and watching so many movies and TV shows. And for me, I read a lot of female-written mystery thriller novels, several of them sort of, like, feel like they exist somewhere in the the themes of the psychic, which, to me, were, like, the absence of time, right? This this question of, like, where are we in time? Um, the, question, the question of intuition and trying to uh, sort of, like, scratch an unseeable itch. And some of these books, for me, have been... Night Film by Marisha Pessel, which if they made a movie, you would love it, but it would be like 30 hours long. It's such a cool, wild, modern book. So it's about this director who has this huge cult following. He's sort of like a Stanley Kubrick type character Mm -hmm. where he's like this recluse and he creates these insane psychological thrillers. But um, it's about is he evil? Is he real? Is Are his works, you know, sort of real life films of him like torturing his actors? And it really delves into the way that like technology influences all this. And there's a bit of, is it supernatural? Is it reality? Where is he? Who is he? What is he? And it's 
wild. I loved it. Then another book that plays with time and sort of murder and, I mean, everything that I read (laughs) um, is this book called The Shining Girls by Lauren Bukes, which I recently finished and really enjoyed. Also, The Good Son by Yu Zhang Zhang was really cool. It's not, doesn't have a supernatural element the way the other two do, but um, it's about a man, young man trying to put together what happened in a night where there was a murder. And I don't want to give away any more than that. I also want to mention I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which was is also a recent HBO series. Yeah book and HBO series, both phenomenal, but talk about intuition yeah. and putting together a timeline that and has never fate. been put, yeah, has never been mm-hmm. put together before and just like doing the legwork that only a woman can do. <laughs> like, I mean, this book, it may be, you know, true crime, but it is very much about intuition and following fate and, you know, putting together a narrative where one didn't exist before. Well, I also have two works of literature to recommend. I have a book and a magazine. <laughs> so I, short story, I should say, not a full book. Um, Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Black Cat from mm-hmm. 1845. I think that it has a lot of similar themes with the psychic. And it also is a tale of guilt and consequences. You can also read The Cask of Amontillado, which is all about being Walled in yeah. yeah, walled into yes. a hole. Yeah, so you could do two short stories in this film. I also wanted to recommend Rue Morgue's Halloween issue. It's a magazine, horror magazine from Canada, which is currently in stores now. The issue includes a fantastic interview with the psychics writer, Dardano oh. Sacchetti. Cool. And Dardano and director Lucio Fulci have collaborated on a number of other films together, including Zombie 2, City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, House by a Cemetery... And the newest issue of Rue Morgue is an excellent read for any Jalo fan or fan of this film. It has a lot of Italian horror content. The two movies that stood out, which both are relatively new and we watched, you know, in the past couple months. The first is Palm Springs, which is a comedy on Hulu that plays a ton with, like... The construct of time. Yeah, the construct of time, sort of, like, piecing together how to get in and out of reality but I thought it was like a fun that was the first thing that came to mind I was like what have I watched with recently about like intuition and time it's a comedy that was very cute I like that it was great like as far as a I mean definitely in my opinion Andy Samberg's finest yeah he was he was great great in it it. and I really enjoyed it I was like pleasantly surprised by that and the other is The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock, which just came out on uh, Netflix in yeah. movie form. Um, it has every actor ever in yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and we, I watched it last night, and it's good. The book is phenomenal, and I've read it several times. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, Netflix didn't quite get the gore and grime of the novel, but that's okay. We, it still is a solid watch. But especially the way that both the book is written and the movie is done, that there are elements of time play, right? It's, it's no time travel per se, but mm-hmm. um, the, the narrative is told sort of in a back and forth fashion. That like two separate timelines, right? Several separate okay. timelines, many different characters converging. But really, like, in order to tell you the story more effectively so that you're able to move in and out of these different narratives and yeah. see how they all connect. And, and the, the movie, for it's a huge task because it's quite a long novel, the movie really did justice to this type of narrative. 
Awesome. I have one movie that I would like to recommend. It's called The Endless by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. It plays with the constructs of time, fate, not much intuition, but heavily plays with time. So I, I really like that one. I believe that's streaming on Netflix currently. The Endless by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. I guess while I'm here, I'll recommend their upcoming film called Synchronic, which is playing drive-ins next month. So in October, if you live near a drive-in theater, watch Synchronic. It is about time travel and drugs that mess with your mind. And it has Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan in it. And I really like that. I saw it at Fantastic Fest last year. And I think that if you're looking for a sci-fi film about time travel, Synchronic is one to watch for. Okay. And my last flavor of the summer, really, is the (laughs) show I May Destroy You. Because that show actually plays really similarly into the concept of, like, visions and piecing together your reality. The main character in I May Destroy You is not psychic, but she has undergone some trauma, some heavy trauma, and she has just snippets of this memory and uses that to sort of piece together what happened, but also like push her life forward and re-identify herself as someone who has experienced a sexual assault. Um, it's a phenomenal show. It has one of my favorite endings. Like I, It really is a powerful, incredible beautiful show and HBO right HBO and to me it it really also comes back into that sort of like a journey only a woman can endure um and I told you I was watching a lot of tv and a lot of movies and reading a lot of great recommendations (laughs) Uh, in addition to your flavors of the month do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote while I have you on Jolly of the Month Club yeah so I can be reached or contacted or dm'd only tasteful oh. things, please, at mother.and.wild at Instagram. And uh, to see some of my creative endeavors, you can follow me at Remnants of Spring on Instagram. Um, I offer virtual tarot readings. I am also offering uh, Baltimore listeners styled photos. And on September 27th, I'm doing a styled portrait series at Whitehall Mill here in Baltimore, which will be the first of a monthly series. So next month, we're doing a haunting at the mill theme. So it'll be every month we'll have a little theme and seasonal holiday, etc. So yeah, just follow me on Instagram. That's mother.and.wild. Be in touch. I love talking to new people and meeting new people and creating with new people. So, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I'll definitely plug all of your information so it'll be really easy for everyone to find. And I love the idea of the virtual tarot readings, which that could be a flavor of the month. That would pair well with this film. (laughs) Watch the film and then get a tarot reading. Ooh, I would love that. (laughs) For me, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like what you hear, please give the podcast five-star rating. I have Jollo Month Club pins for sale, three different sizes and colors for all information. Please contact me on Instagram at Jollo Club. Feel free to message me or email Club at gmail.com if you have any questions. The logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find his Etsy shop at Retirement Fund. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at DreamDivision.bandcamp.com. 
And you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. Sarah, thank you for being here and You're so welcome. Giving me so much knowledge in regard to tarot reading and psychic abilities and all of the stuff that I would just be lost without you. I would have no knowledge of <laughs> in this general. Stuff. Like in your life though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just lost. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I've been your guest host, Sarah Adler. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Thank you.